This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Have you ever stopped to wonder what exactly success means to you? Is it money, fame, power, all of the above or none at all? I'm Dashan Johan and this is Redefining Success, a show where we speak to passionate people from various fields about their lives, what makes them tick and what the word success means to them. Joining me on the show today is Dr. Aisha, or or her full name, Dr. Noraisha Maidin Abdul Aziz. She's a lecturer at the Department of uh, Parasitology at University of Malaya. She's the only candidate representing the OKU community running for GE15, and she's doing so under the Pakatan Harapan banner, specifically PKR. Welcome to the show, Dr. Aisha. It's an honor to speak to you. Thank you. Thank you for having me here today. How do you define success, Dr. Aisha? What does that word mean to you? To me, success is being happy, surrounding myself with people who make me happy, doing work that gives me great satisfaction. Um, and so for the longest of time since I was a small child, uh, I've only ever wanted to understand who I am, what I am and why I have uh, well, 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 maybe perhaps why I look a little bit different than other people. So, so that has always been uh, me. I've always wanted to know about myself. Uh, and uh, happiness to me is being on that journey. Uh, and and so I am, you know, I've I've done everything in my power since I was a child to gain knowledge. Knowledge, I would say, is the thing that makes me happy. That's fantastic. Now, um, you've been a lecturer for a very long time now. You work in the Department of Parasitology at, uh, at the Faculty of Medicine at UM. Tell me a little bit about the work that you do in education. All right. So, Dashren, um, you would find that my journey in as an academic as an academician in University of Malaya to be very very interesting right. because uh, I've always considered myself to be a part of University of Malaya since I was nine months old. I was born at Hospital Besar Kuala Lumpur, but my mother transferred me to the then hospital University Hospital when I was when I was nine months old. It was easier for her. She was she was a single mother. My father died when I was two years old, so it's just a lot closer to home. Home was in Tamandisa Old Klang Road. Uh, next to OUG, next to Mid Valley Mega Mall, so that was home, uh, five minutes away from what is now called, currently called PPUM, Pusat right. Perbatasan uh, University Malaya. Yeah, I had done my undergraduate and my masters in University Kebangsa in Malaysia, and then I was offered uh, Skim Latihan Academic Bumi Putra uh, to do to read for my PhD, uh, and I was asked at that time. I had absolutely no idea that that. Uh, the head of Allied Health Science at that time, Dr. Zaliha Uma, uh, she had wanted to recruit me into University of Malaya. And so she asked me, you know, what, what field would I want to uh, go in? And then I said, well, it has to be on neural tube defects because this is what I have. And uh, I, 
when I was an undergraduate, when I was doing my master's, even though I was in the genetics department majoring in cell and molecular biology, I was not able to learn about human genetics. I was not able to learn about my condition because there weren't any researchers actively working on those fields. Right. Uh, and, and neither were there in the medical faculty, not especially not there in the science faculty. Uh, and there were, already there was already a division of, you know, um, academic uh specialization and it's very sad that way back then in the 90s uh that you know uh, oh you know faculty of science don't don't do research projects on on humans because that's all under the jurisdiction of the medical faculty so a lot of those barriers have now been broken uh people are now more knowledge centric but yes i went off as a i went off to London for my PhD, to read for my PhD under the Department of Rehabilitation Medicine. Right. Uh, I came back, Datuk Zaleha had already retired. And so then I was asked to choose a science-based uh, department, right. uh, Faculty of Medicine. And so I chose the Biomedical Science Unit, which was then at that time under Molecular Medicine. But suffice to say that my verbosity and my desire for the truth uh, has always gotten me into trouble. <laughs> uh, and it, it didn't take long when uh, I knew that uh, I might as well move to a department uh, that was more well-suited to my personality. And I was very lucky, and I mentioned this during my speech at Taman Kosas, uh, during the Keadilan, Penamaan Calon of Keadilan. Uh, and, I, and I said that, I said that I was recruited by Professor Rohela Mahmoud from the Department of Parasitology. I am not a bona fide parasitologist. I did do my master's in uh, mosquito mosquito DNA. I did right. do my uh, master's on molecular entomology. Uh, but I was definitely, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm literally sitting there in parasitology having, you know, it's, it's a great department because it's the only department in the whole entire faculty of medicine of UM which can provide me so much space. Right. So I have three labs and I work, I've worked very, very hard for the past, well, how long has it been? Uh, I've been in UM for more than 15 years. I've been in parasitology for, uh, 14 years. Right. Uh, and uh, all I've done is write grants, apply money, uh, get money. Sorry, apply, apply, apply grants, and 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 to 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 build my lab, to feed my students. Students can't possibly do a successful research project. They're going to be eating grass out there because they have no stipend coming in. So I'm very. I, I tell everyone there are only three things uh, throughout my part the past fifteen years of my life. Firstly, number one, I look. I mean, I, I, I said this to many people, you have to care for your patients. You have to care for patient dignity. That's number one. Number two, you have to champion your students. Okay. Number three, the most neglected member of research are the experimental animals. Right. And if you Google my name, you Google my publication, I am the only person who ever written, you know, a paper on why we must have good facilities, good uh, specified pathogen-free uh, facilities for experimental animals. So if you're going to take the life of the animal in the name of science, then you very well better look after them very, very well. We're, we're not looking after our homo sapiens. Uh, we're not looking after our environment. We're not looking after, you know, experimental animals really are going to be completely neglected. I mean, no one loves them. So, so, of course, you know, on every level, on every perspective, because I've always seen myself as, you know, I've always asked this question. Education is about giving the best of yourself 
to the weakest, the most disenfranchised in society. You have to educate your people, your students to feel for the people that you are serving. And this is not happening in Malaysia. You know, from the outside, it seems like you have really impacted your students' lives. And I mean that by, you know, when I go on Twitter, um, you know, these, these past couple of, uh, few, these past few days or weeks, you know, I've seen an outpour of support for you from ex-University Malaya students, um, students who even say, you know, usually I will not, you know, openly, you know, uh, talk about who I'm supporting, who I'm voting for, but I will make this one exception because it's Dr. Aisha, you know, I, and because Dr. Aisha has impacted me so much when I was a student. What is your philosophy of teaching, Dr. Aisha? I, I'm very curious to know how you have impacted so many students' lives. My my thing in life is actually extremely simple, right? Many lecturers have also said, Aisha, how on earth do you get the nicest students? How on earth do you get all these <laughs> lovely people around you? That is because I have never, ever, you know, asked my student, what is your CGPA? What is your cumulative point grade average? That that is That is not the thing that you should ask students, right? To, that's to me. To me, it is not about what I can gain from the student. It is about what I can give to the student so that the student can be a better version of me and look after more people in the future for the betterment of Malaysia. Why am I saying that? It's because for the longest of time, I've always felt very, very strongly that the reason why I am what I am today is because someone way back then, a teacher, had given me the time, the benefit of the doubt, have raised me uh, as she or he would want his or her child to be raised. And so it's, it's, it's something that comes naturally to me. It's, it's something that comes naturally to me that whenever any of my students are uh, or anyone applies to be a part of my laboratory, for example, the question that I ask them is, is not about their examination results. I would ask, how is your mother? It is all logic. It is all common sense. It is all to do with intelligence. And intelligence is actually, in my opinion, thoroughly lacking in the highest offices of this country at the moment. And it trickles down to the university because the university position are also given to people who are not very intelligent. Even if they are intelligent on paper, they're not intelligent in terms of their emotional and psychological quotient. They're not. You cannot have educators who do not treat other people's children like their own children. The whole entire education system will fail if that is so. And 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 I suppose this is this is God's way of returning to me all that I have put in place for the past 15 years because I have never ever bothered about my own uh, promotion or my own self-advancement. In fact, the reason why I left the rehabilitation medicine department is because all those doctors were going around saying things like, Aisha is here because she wants to use her condition to advance her career. I am not that person. They are describing themselves which is why on social media, I'm very much against rehabilitation medicine consultants. They have done everything in their power to put children like me on wheelchairs instead of getting them to walk. 
And which is why this fight is a personal fight. I had no intention of becoming a politician. I had no intention to be fielded. But it is Saudara Rafizi Ramli who has opened that door for me because he sees the commitment. He knows the commitment is backed by published scientific paper in the international arena. I'm well-known abroad. I'm well-known in this country. But for 15 years, I still cannot procure an associate professorship from the number one university in this country. So what does that say about our nation? Why now, Dr. Aisha? You you mentioned Saudara Rafizi Ramli. What is it about this particular juncture that we find ourselves in? And and I'm saying, you know, this post-Lanka Sheraton, heading towards GE15 juncture that we find ourselves in, that you thought, compared to GE14, GE13 and, and all of that, now is the time where I should put my throw my name in the in the political arena and say, you know, I have to join frontline politics. Why now, Dr. Aisha? Because the situation of the country is so despicably bad. The situation of this country was made even more despicably bad looking at what how the administration of this country handled things. Not just the administration of the country, but also, you know, all the people who hold high positions of authority in the universities, in the hospitals, and look at how they handle COVID-19. So, yes, I'm not angry. I'm furious. I, I cannot give myself any real reason why I should not fight this to the death. My promise to myself, when Rasauda Rafizi declared Ayu Malaysia was that I was going to do everything in my power to put him there in government. So whatever good work that I did, hashtag Hidup Malaysia NTD, I would then put hashtag Ayu Malaysia under it. I didn't care anymore. And my friends, my colleagues are saying, Aisha, your posts are becoming spicier and spicier for the, <laughs> by the day. And I said, I don't care. They can throw me in jail for all I care. It doesn't matter anymore. Because if I don't do something to change now, things, we're all going under. And the first that's going to go under are the weakest, the most disenfranchised, are my sick children. No one else in the country gives a toss about them. I'm not going to let them. I'm, I'm, I cannot. I cannot do that because I've already promised God Almighty, teach me, educate me. God has, you know, never reneged on his promise to me. I, you know, I've gotten all the knowledge in the world. You know, I never asked for pangkat and jawatan. <laughs> I just asked for knowledge. Right. And I promised if I have this knowledge, I was going to look after people. That's exactly what I'm doing now. Dr. Aisha, you are the only candidate representing the OKU community this GE15. Um, how, how are you processing that? What does that mean to you? I started doing what I started doing, speaking about what I do simply because I am the only person in the whole world with spina bifida, with a PhD on spina bifida. I don't know why not more people uh, would have plucked me out of oblivion thinking that, you know, isn't it? I mean, how much more big an achievement for a Malaysian can there be being the only person with that medical condition, having a PhD in that medical condition, right? You know, because I have kept my integrity. 
Right. If I had tossed my integrity and allowed myself to be photographed with the minister at that time when Akta Oki 2008 was passed in parliament, I will probably be Tansley Professor Emeritus, blah, 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 <laughs> which I am not interested. I am not interested <laughs> at all. Because if it doesn't mean that it goes back to my spinal epiphidae kids, I don't give a toss. All right. I would like to see God Almighty in one piece. I do not want to be in fragments just because I want to take some dada on planet Earth. No, thank you. I am not here to make myself a kayangan among the OKUs. I am here to serve the weakest, the most disenfranchised, the ones that do not have a voice OKUs. And I have given my number to the whole world. They can call me, they can text me, they can do whatever it is. But do not expect me to represent the poyo and the kayangan. I reject that. Tomorrow, if Rafizi doesn't want me anymore in politics, I can go peacefully. I'm happy. I have done my job. Because my boss is not Rafizi Ramli. My boss is not Anwar Ibrahim. My boss is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the almighty, omnipotent God. All right? So whether people like it or not, up to you lah. I am a Malaysian. I sayang all Malaysians. It's very ed- evident in everything that I do. Student activists in particular love me so much. Right. It's because for the longest of time, my house has been a halfway home for all students. So it was natural that when I held the position of the Academic Union Secretary of UM for one session, my home became a halfway home for the student leaders. My home is the place where they come for meetings. At the very least, they'll get karipap and tetare. <laughs> At least they have a place to talk. At least there's a place where they feel safe. They can say, Dr. Aisha, why the VC say like this? Dr. Aisha, why did that professor say this? Dr. Aisha, what do you think of this? That is what I do all day long. I mean, time is so short on this earth. You know, you know, the Mat Saleh will say, before you know it, they're pushing up daffodils. In Malaysia, worse, before you know it, you'll be pushing up bunga tai ayam, if not lalang. All right, it, we we are in trouble. The country is in trouble. The country is in massive debt. I used to think that things will never change for people like me unless you cannot get tetare and roti china. And it's happening now. Because of the exchange rate and because our current government doesn't put a hold on a, on the on the price of petrol, prices food prices are I just keep on going up. Now cannot get teh tarik already, cheap cheap. Now cannot get roti canai cheap cheap anymore. So now people are very very angry lah. GE15 is it? GE15 someone Fahmi Reza should draw a poster. Harga itu teh tarik berapa? Harga roti canai berapa? Therefore, GE15 is the time you vote for Noraisha Maidin lah. <laughs> On the show with me today is Dr. Noraisha Maidin binti Haji Abdul Aziz. She was a lecturer at the Department of Parasitology, University of Malaya. And she's now a candidate for Pakatan Harapan, contesting for the Putrajaya Federal Constituency seat. After the break, I ask her what her pledge is to the residents of Putrajaya. Keep it here on Redefining Success, BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Redefining Success. I'm Dashran Johan. And on the show with me today is Dr. Noraisha 
Maidin Binti Haji Abdul Razis. She was a lecturer at the Department of Parasitology, University of Malaya. She's now Pakatan Harapan's candidate contesting for the Putrajaya Federal Constituency seat for GE15. She's the only OKU candidate contesting this GE15. So, Dr. Aisha, you suffer, as you as you mentioned, um, something from something called spinal bifida. For those who may not have any concept of what that is exactly, do you mind sharing a little bit about that? This is a condition that happens in the womb of the expectant mother, all right? But the most interesting thing is that neural tube defects, which encompasses spina bifida, and also the brain version of spina bifida, which is called anencephaly, right? It happens during the first trimester, during the first two weeks of the of the first trimester when the woman doesn't even know that she has conceived. We're not talking about expecting, we're talking about conceive right. the early days itself. All right? So if her womb is not protected during that time, that is the time when spina bifida can happen because the spina bifida is failure of the closure of the spinal neural tube. The neural tube being the precursor uh, of the spinal cord. All right. So it can either occur in the brain or it can occur in the spinal cord. I, I do not like to, to... I mean, people always have that misnomer. Oh, it's a spinal condition. It's got nothing to do with your spine right. because your spine is made up of bones. We're talking about the nervous tissue here. We're talking about the ecto dermal derivative which is your brain and your spinal cord so that is what i do in the lab i do studies using mice vertebrate model my vertebrate model is mice uh, and in the invertebrate model i'm using spiders you know why i use spiders because i think they're beautiful so i study dorsal closure on them uh, i'm creating models of what we can breed in the laboratory i wish someone would ask me uh, you know, uh, how to... Because, you see, I'm in parasitology department. Right. I write grants about anything under the sun. You know? Okay. But I'm digressing. This is just to show you guys how super brilliant I am that I can <laughs> and write papers and right. uh, apply for funding under the parasitology department. In fact, when I was in, in a pre-university... My takeaway college thingy on the book was like, HR champak mana pun boleh hidup. So, so spina yeah. bifida is, uh, is a condition that affects uh, the spinal cord. So, all children born with spina bifida will have bladder and bowel issues. All right? right. Uh, they may walk, they may not walk, but mobility can, be, uh, can become worse or can decline over time. Uh, and in fact, we have just published a paper in the journal Children by my wakil chalun, Mr. Nishaljit Singh Khalsa. You know, a shout out for him. You know, his brother is here with me today. Nivranjit <laughs> uh, Singh Khalsa has also published a paper on inflammation in spina bifida. Right. Uh, so all my brilliant students whom I'm struggling to find money to feed them, uh, you know, Nishal, Nishal Jin had published an, an excellent paper that shows that if you untether the spinal cord or spina bifida children before the age of two, they are more likely to be able to walk, to run. You will not be able to distinguish them from uh, you know, other able-bodied children. Also, the most exciting data is that some of them don't even need the use of catheterization. They can pee normally. And this is landmark. 
if in the next 15 years, my kids are still walking, don't need a tube to pee, you know what that means? Malaysia is at the forefront of the world, scientifically and medically. And you know the surgeon who does all these surgeries for me for free because even though there's two Badan Bekanun universities, one charges 6,000, the other charges nothing with a card OKU, that particular professor, again, tak naik pangkat lah. So what yeah. policies are you planning to champion in parliament? Excellent question. In order for us to look after our country above all else, mm-hmm. we need to fix the gap. Right. We need to solve the immediate questions, the immediate problems of our people. And the first thing that you do, irrespective of who and what you are in life, doesn't matter what age, even Kunan, I will look after Kunan, okay? You have to go back to the medical records. You have to understand that person's medical condition. It is no longer good enough to distinguish all OKUs according to the seven thing. It's not about how deaf you are, how blind you are, how physically unable you are to move around. You cannot categorize people according to this archaic, very insulting methods of, you know, uh, uh, from what you see. That is an insult. We are an intelligent nation. You have to go back to the medical records. You have to understand the medical condition. If our if people with disabilities in our country can only reply, rely upon card OKU in order to get health care because they are not eligible for insurance that can be used to pay for the frequent hospitalization, right? Then you better make the uh, Borang OKU the most up-to-date, comprehensive uh, Borang there is, all right? Because our country cannot keep on taking in people, looking after them without addressing what the real problem is. Because we all know if you make the OKU healthy, the OKU is going to be less OKU and you'll be able to contribute to the economy of Malaysia. Like your good self here, okay? So that's what I'm saying. I know myself. I know my condition. I am 47 years old. I've gone through 13 surgeries, three of which were brain surgeries. So I know my stuff. Lah. And I look after people. I have an 81-year-old mother who still drives and go to Pasar. Okay. So I'm good at doing what I do. Give me the job. Speaking of Putrajaya, which is where you will be contesting um, against a, a big wig um, which is Kunan, as you just mentioned. I'm wondering, Dr. Aisha, apart from, you know, your ideas that you have um, and the ideas that you're going to champion in parliament if you win, another aspect of <coughs> being an MP in Malaysia, at, at least according to what the people want, um, is they want an MP that, uh, you know, understands very local issues as well. Um and this is especially true for places under the federal territories in KL and stuff because they don't have a, a look, uh, you know, an Adun level. It's the MP and, and them. That's it. Absolutely. Yeah. So what are some of the issues that um, people of Putrajaya are facing? And what is your pledge to the people of Putrajaya specifically? This is a very important question. And this is why I am only releasing my manifesto after tonight. 
because I have spent ever since I found out that I was going to be, uh, you know, the bid for the parliamentary seat for Putrajaya P125. Uh, I have spent all my time trying to understand Putrajaya better, trying to understand the problems of Putrajaya better. I don't think ever in the history of Malaysia that a uh, person that who is running for office uh, would go around on his or her campaign giving out personal phone number to my constituents so that they can WhatsApp me. And the reason why I'm doing this is because this is how I've handled Malaysia NTD all this while. All right. I know that people cannot tell their story at one meeting, one go, one meet. It doesn't happen. This is a relationship that's built over time. Uh, trust needs to be gained, not just on one side, but both sides in order for the optimum, uh, you know, output that you want to get, you know. And so my giving my phone number out like that means that irrespective of how old or how young, uh, how busy the person is, in their own time, they can reach out to me. Okay. And so... Uh, even though I, I feel very, I feel, I feel the pressure coming from grassroots and party level people to be more uh, the old style, you know, where you listen to what the leaders have to say. The leaders have formulated their list. <laughs> okay. I am not that person. I will never be that person. I will always go on the ground and collect my own data first. Okay, I would want to speak to as many Putrajaya folks as I can face to face. Then put it together, extrapolate that and put it out there. And I know that this may seem, you know, convoluted to some. People are constantly saying, Dr. Aisha, we don't have time. Dr. Aisha, you cannot just, you know, sit in one, one table and just talk to one person for so long. You have to go around, you have to hit 100 people, 100 tables. I'm not that person. I'm not. And, and I'm hoping that because my number is out there, that those whom I do not get to see face to face or physically would reach out to me uh, via WhatsApp, you know, and, and or, or tweet me or whatever it is, but communicate with me so that I can understand what the issues are. So I do have a working manifesto. Uh, and I think this is something that, that will make Putrajaya happy. It'll make Putrajaya happy because it really tries to answer the five most important outstanding outlier that the federal government may overlook. It is pointless to repeat the same old thing that the federal government have said. We have to be very clear about what makes Putrajaya different in order to win Putrajaya. And I promise you, I am trying my hardest to do this as best as I can, as humanly possible as I can. So I would like to apologize for all my swearing and my maki hamon, but that maki hamon comes from a very good place because that comes from a place that wants to solve your problems, that wants to make sure 
that whatever that comes out of the wombs of Malaysian women are protected, that we are protected. We are all protected as Malaysians. And the reason why this has become more and more prominent for me because on that day when I was coming back to Kuala Lumpur from Johor, it was I was coming back from uh, you know collecting patient data. Mm-hmm. All this while, yeah, I know about spina bifida, the data on spina bifida. I know how to improve the lives of spina bifida, but I didn't know of the high numbers of the cranial neural tube defects or anencephaly that were being born in Johor. And they have a high number there. The most severe neural tube defects are in Johor. Okay. There is also an epidemic that's brewing right now in the wombs of Malaysian women. And that is brought about by diabetes. Our country, our nation, one in two Malaysians have diabetes. Sorry, one in five Malaysians have diabetes. One in two Malaysians don't even know they have diabetes. Women who are pre-diabetic, who have gestational diabetes, who have gestational diabetes, who are diabetic, all these three things huh, are more likely to give birth to babies with birth defects. With a high number of pre-diabetes, gestational diabetes, and diabetes in this country, we are going to face an epidemic, an explosion of children with birth defects. So doctors out there, tak payahlah. Don't talk just about genetics, okay? It is not just genetics. We have to start looking after the environment, the environment of Malaysia. This is our only country. Most of us in this country, one house, one car, that's it lah. We don't have much money. So a little bit, don't lah. To buy roti chana and tetari, okay? So please don't waste our time anymore. Let's please solve our people's problems. Before we wrap this conversation up, Dr. Aisha, would you have a final message for us on the road to GE? You know, elections are happening on the 19th of November. What message do you have for voters? Orang Malaysia pandai. I repeat again and again. Orang Malaysia pandai. You don't need to be told what to do. You already know what to do. Okay? So can we please go out there on the 19th and get our jobs done or not? So that we start looking after this country? Okay, that's all. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining me today, Dr. Aisha. That was Dr. Noraisha Maidin Binti Haji Abdulaziz. She was a lecturer at the Department of Parasitology at University of Malaya. She's now a Pakatan Harapan candidate contesting for the Putra Jaya Federal Constituency seat. She is the only OKU candidate contesting for, for a parliamentary seat this GE15. So if you missed any part of our conversation, you can also check us out on podcasts. We're available on the BFM app, bfm.my or pretty much wherever you get your podcasts from. I'm Dashran Johan and this has been Redefining Success, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.